Good morning, everyone. My name is Chris McDaniel, the senior pastor at the church. And before we read from Matthew 21, I just want to affirm what we just heard from Ashley, Melody, and Joe. The, the issue of how Trinity is meant to engage this conversation around racial justice has been something that's been really heavy on the hearts of our leadership for quite some time. But on a very personal level, for me, this issue moved to a place of urgency as we sat on Pentecost Sunday, going back just a few months ago, if you'll remember that time, uh, we were all, I think, bearing the heavy burden of the load of the pandemic. And then what we here in Atlanta saw happening in our city uh, in reaction to an act of, um, of violence um, against a person of color really moved this thing, I think, in terms of what we were seeing and feeling. And out of that, uh, there's been a call for us to be the kind of church that addresses issues of inclusion um, and specifically takes ownership over our part to play in the conversation around race in the city. And I just want to say to you, we know that God is not calling us to be talking heads on this issue. I have actually no authority to speak as a leader, a thought leader, when it comes to this conversation. Our posture is one of humility and learning and repenting. And so the conversation that you just heard, um, really with two key members of our uh, Race, Diversity, and Inclusion Council is something that I think is going to bear a lot of fruit in our church over the months and weeks and years ahead. Y'all, we've got a long road in front of us. And similar to the burden of the long road in front of us, for me, as a pastor, being invited over the course of the latter month of the summer to join with 50 other pastors uh, via Zoom to pray, intercede, and repent on behalf of the church to ask God to move in our country. Being a part of this experience has really led me to a place of seeing that we're not alone here at Trinity in asking these questions, but that we're joining with an increasing number of churches who are asking God to move and asking God to heal. And that's my prayer. I actually want to pray before we read and jump into our sermon. I want to ask for the Holy Spirit's help and his power. So Holy Spirit, we ask you now to wake up our hearts, to listen to what you have for us. I pray, God, that we as a church and as the wider church, God, would be responsive and receptive and teachable. God, I pray that we would be a part of a healing process that we would not exasperate problems, but we would rather be responsive and receptive to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask you for that grace. And I stand here as an agent of this church, as a member of the wider church, and we repent. We repent for prejudice, for exclusion. We repent, God, on behalf of a church that's increasingly polarized and divided. And we ask, God, that you would come and bring healing and unity, that you truly would be a balm to us, a healing salve for us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, if you have your Bible, please open to Matthew 21, beginning in verse 23. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to him, To them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, 
Well, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you, God, for this opportunity that we have to be together, even as we're scattered around our city and around the country and some further afield than that. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to hear the word of God and that we would receive not just words on a piece of paper, a teaching from Jesus 2,000 years ago, but we ask, God, that you would give us the grace to receive your word and plant it into our souls and help us to live our lives in light of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So y'all, there are just a few things that I wanna point out to us today. This is actually not a terribly complicated text. It's a text actually that falls, I think, right at the heart of what it means to be human and to account for the reality of the power of God. And so we're just gonna name a few things and ask for the Holy Spirit's help today. The first thing that I think we have to contend with if we're going to take this text seriously is the question of authority. Actually, Jesus is in a dangerous place here. He's, he's actually being trapped or they're trying to trap him. And they say to him, essentially, by what authority do you do and say the things that you do and say? And y'all, that question and our response to that question our response to Jesus actually will determine the trajectory of our life because effectively this is what people are asking. They're saying to Jesus, do you possess authority simply because you're popular or because you have something tangible given to you from God? So which is it? Do we give Jesus a hearing simply because he's clever or popular? Because I'm going to tell you a clever person can't lay claim to your life. They may be entertaining. A person who's prone to theater, a person who's actually really smart or helpful. These people are interesting to listen to, but they maybe can't look at us and say, do this or go here or be this way. And this question actually gets at the fundamental question for you and for me that will ultimately orient how seriously we take Jesus. Do we follow him? Do we tune into church? Do we occasionally listen to inspirational talks because Jesus is comforting, inspirational, or clever? Or do we believe that he's been given something by God? See, I believe that how you answer that question is of critical importance because a clever person can't direct you or shouldn't. An inspiring person can't chart a course for your life. But if Jesus has authority given to him by God, then he has a kind of tangible ability 
to direct you. He can actually look at you and me and say, go here, do this, be this way. And I want to say to you that for me, my decision of submission, where I say to Jesus, you actually do possess authority, not just because of your persona, but because your words and your life carry weight, the kind of weight that's able to direct me, that's made every difference in the choices that I make. And so I believe the Lord would ask us to look at our lives and ask some questions. How are we living our lives? How do we respond to the authority question? Because I think it actually gets at something that's really uncomfortable in our culture, which is this invitation to submit, bending the knee, yielding to the authority of one who is above us. And as long as Jesus is just a helpful guide, maybe we miss the goal of ultimate submission. But that brings us to the second major component in this text, and it's this. God's authority is not so arbitrary and powerful that you have no choice, that I have no choice in the matter. We actually have to make a choice. The second thing we see in this text is there's an invitation here on the part of God to choose obedience. See, you have a part to play in this story. So do I. We're not robots. We're not mindless automatons. We've actually been given an invitation to choose. Your volition is not diminished just because God is a God of authority. So do you choose submission? Do you choose obedience? I believe that there's something really important here for us to hear because in the story that Jesus tells, he tells a story about a father with two sons. And that's where this story ultimately goes is how do we respond when God gives us an authoritative command? So the father says this, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He says that to both boys. And I want to go to my notes here because I want to read something really important, something that's actually um, essential for us to see. Because the father doesn't say if you feel like it. He doesn't say if you could fit it into your schedule. He doesn't say if you feel inspired, I want you to go and do something for me. He's not asking his kids to do him a favor. He's actually issuing a command. But as we see in this story, they actually have the power to either engage or to disengage. And I would say to you that if we're going to be the kinds of people who submit, who actually align with God's purpose and be the people that he wants us to be, we're going to have to be the kinds of people who trust a few things that actually are strongly implied in this story. Number one, we are sons and daughters. Like we're his kids. We're not slaves. We're not servants. We're, we're his children. And there's a kind of dignity when the father says to the son, son or daughter, go and work in my fields. He's saying, you who are my beloved, you who are a part of my family, you who belong to me and have dignity in your freedom to choose, go and do. The second thing I think we have to see here is this. They were called to work in a place designed to be fruitful. And you were called as a daughter, as a son, to give your life, to put your gifts into play in a way that would bear fruit. God has called us to be fruitful people as his children. And thirdly, God's call to obedience is always a today call. It's not a tomorrow. It's not a maybe one day. It's a, it's a right now call. 
And I believe the Lord wants each and every one of us to imagine that the Lord is putting some sort of claim on our lives for today. And so as we think about how we're living our lives right now, I believe there's a today invitation to respond as a daughter, as a son, and to be fruitful. So the story goes, two kids, one kid says yes, but then fails to go into the field. One kid says, sure, dad, I'll go. And then he doesn't end up going. And we're not told why. Maybe he was just telling dad what he thought dad wanted to hear. Or maybe he actually thought, I think I'm going to do that. But then other things got in the way and he ultimately did not go into the field. What we know, apart from his motives, is this. As the day wears on, his words diminish in terms of their meaning. And I think that there's an invitation here for us to answer this question. Do my words lose their meaning the longer I live my life? If you're the kind of person who says one thing and then does another, not for the better, but for the worse, people, including God, will begin to trust the import and the consistency and the intention of our words less and less and less. For this son, regardless of why he did not go into the field, His words did not match his actions and therefore his words began to lose force in terms of their meaning. I believe God wants every one of us to possess a kind of moral authority where what we say and what we do increasingly come into agreement with one another. That's not the case for this young man. So the second one, this son says no and then he ends up going into the field. I don't know why he didn't go at first. Maybe he was being stubborn. Maybe he was being lazy. See, that doesn't matter as much as the fact that he ultimately changes his mind. And that word to change your mind, to rethink, that's the word from which we get the Christian-y sounding word, repentance. This guy repented. Metanoia in the Greek language, to think about your thinking, to rethink, to take a second look. He ultimately says, I'm going to go And I'm going to bear fruit as a daughter or a son. I'm going to be in the field and I'm going to do what the Lord has asked me to do. See, I think one of the powerful things about this story, and this is analogous of life, how we start is not nearly as important as where we end up. And for this guy, he actually repents. He rethinks. And right now, I think, is an opportunity for you and me to look at our lives and rethink the trajectory and the direction of our lives. That leads me to the last thing I want to point out here. And it's this one. What you do with your life, it matters. See, I would submit to you that it matters more than the words that you say. Because what we see in both of these boys is that their words didn't match their actions. And that at the end of the day, the one who is justified, the one who is obedient is the one who ultimately did the thing, put their actions in line with the best intention of their father. And y'all, The direction of your life really matters. And so I think you have to answer the question, where are you headed? Not what you post on social media, not what you say when everyone's watching, but where is your life headed? What's your direction, your trajectory, your telos? Where's the bullseye of your life? And the truth of the matter is for us, this invites all of us to do a a bit of introspection to, to acknowledge that our actual lived choices matter to God. 
that he wants us to be the kinds of people who move in a certain direction, that he actually wants to lay claim to you and he wants you to submit to him and to work with him under his leadership to become a certain type of person. So I think now is an opportunity for us to ask really tough questions about where we're headed, what our lives look like. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite Christian thinkers, he once said this, the, um, you are exactly the kind of person who does the things that you do. And what Willard was trying to get us to see there is that despite our intentions or the words that we say, it's actually the direction of our life that tells us the road that we're headed down. So this is an opportunity for you and me in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a political season, in a season of racial unrest and injustice, to say, what kind of person am I? What road am I headed down? And then we can rethink, repent, submit when we find that we're going down a road that's not the road we want to go down. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to leave us with a couple of questions because many of you are watching church in groups and we are so thankful for this, whether that's in person or virtually, people are connecting over church in a way that we really should because it's bearing a lot of fruit in our lives. And so I'm gonna ask a couple of questions, questions that are designed to help us consider what it means to respond to a sermon or a text like this. And they'll come up on the screen. Number one, what does it mean for you to consider being under God's authority as you live your life? Not as a free agent, but someone under authority. Number two, what do your choices, your current choices say about your current trajectory? And are you happy with the direction you're headed? And number three, are there areas or places in your life where you're being invited to repent or to rethink things as you consider your life? You can hit pause if you want to, to discuss these things, or if you're watching by yourself, this may be an opportunity for you to just carry these questions into your day, to reflect and to pray and to apply the word of God. We're now gonna turn our attention to the communion table. So you can hit pause if you wanna gather your elements from your communion kit that you picked up on the prior Sunday. Speaking of Sundays, I just wanna say, all of you on the west side, you're invited to come out to the church here on the west side this afternoon to pick up communion kits, but really to do more than that. We're throwing essentially a socially distanced outside parking lot party, and we hope you'll join us. You can connect with a pastor, have some Bellwood coffee, um, have a bougie popsicle. We just want to have fun with you in the parking lot. Last week was so much fun. We hope you'll come out. And as a byproduct, you can pick up your kit for the following week. We're so glad that we're doing church together in our watch groups and to come out to the church, you can actually prepare for communion. So as we get ready for communion, we're gonna simply pray the words of the Lord's prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Amen.